If you're using the Bibles in the seats, you'll find Romans 12, I think, on page 803. So try there, 803, Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. We live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. America is about hard work and individual freedom. America is about hard work. For centuries, America has been the the land of opportunity, the land of the self-made man and the self-made woman. We boast countless stories of those who arrived in our country with, with nothing, and they worked hard and they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. America is also the land of individual freedom, freedom to be ourselves, to choose for ourselves, to determine our own destinies. Nobody tells us what we have to think or what we have to do in America. We enjoy free speech, a free press, and freedom of religion. America is about hard work and individual freedom. And put them together and you get rugged individualism as is symbolized by one of the iconic figures of America, the Marlboro Man, right? Tough, self-sufficient, unfettered, free, a true American. And in this land of freedom and opportunity for those willing to work hard enough to seize it, religion has flourished. While European state churches have gotten bogged down in tradition and hierarchy, in America, churches have innovated and created and grown. In part because there, there, there's no government or, or body of bishops to tell most churches what they can or can't do. This is the case. Also in part because no government or church hierarchy is going to ensure your salary if you're a clergy person. So in America, you, if you have a vision for a, a better church, you just go out and you start it. And, and if it works, then your church grows. And if not, well, perhaps it fails. But, but that kind of free market, that kind of competition keeps churches sharp. Just like in business, the, the market weeds out those who don't work hard enough or who offer an inferior product. To, to go along with this entrepreneurial approach to religion we enjoy in America, we've made the message of salvation simple and accessible. That way, even those with little traditional theological training can share it, whether they be young entrepreneurial pastors starting new churches or or a host of volunteers helping them do it. Everyone can join in, spreading the faith and inviting people in so that the church will grow. What's the simple message? It's that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But we have all sinned and rebelled against God. Yet God loves us too much to punish us without giving us a chance to be redeemed. So God sent his son to die for us, to die for you on the cross. All you have to do to be reconciled to God is to be sorry for your sins and to accept the free gift of salvation by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. If you do that, you will be born again, saved, and, and, and now you can begin a personal relationship with God and fulfill God's purposes for your life while enjoying heaven and the life to come. What all of this also means for Christians in America, whether we be brand new Christians or longtime Christians, is that we have religious choices. We can turn on the TV or or the radio and choose which preacher's preaching best feeds us, comforts us, or inspires us spiritually. 
We can go to a bookstore or, or click on a website and choose which books best help us to grow in our faith. We can try several churches in town and, and, and find the one that best fits us or our family or believes what we believe. And so Christians have plenty of opportunities in America to grow in their faith. And yet, churches are also volunteer societies in America. We're not founded by the government, or I'm sorry, we're not funded by the government, nor by large ecclesial societies or hierarchies. And so we depend on the financial gifts and the volunteer efforts of those who find us worthwhile. And so a successful church must not only be able to attract newcomers and and bring in new converts, but it must also be able to motivate and inspire the faithful to serve. So in good American fashion, churches value those who work hard to make and keep them strong. America is the land of incredible freedom and choice for each individual and of incredible opportunity for those willing to work hard. And the American church has harnessed that freedom and opportunity to spread the Christian faith both at home and through missions all over the world. God has done amazing things in America and through America. There's only one problem. And that is that the Christian faith which the American church has enjoyed and has spread in some ways looks very little like what we read about in the Bible. Or maybe better to say, very often American Christianity looks in some ways to be far more American than it does to be Christian. Instead of challenging American rugged individualism, American Christianity has very often taken it for granted and reshaped the Christian faith around it. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul shows us a better way. He calls us to a more Christian Christianity. He challenges us to think counterculturally about our faith, which for us in America means reconsidering whether individual freedom and hard work, as good as those two things are, are really the two greatest goods which trump everything else. Paul begins in verse 1 by reminding us of all God has done for us to save us. He begins, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Paul just spent, if you read Romans, the first 11 chapters relishing with us in God's mercy. To set the backdrop for this, Paul had started in in the opening chapters of Romans by telling how the whole world had turned away from God. In Paul's day, that world was broken up into basically two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people, those who, who God had had a special relationship with. God had made a covenant with them to be their God and to welcome them as his people. God had offered them protection and blessing and taught them about himself, giving them his word, instructing them through the scriptures in a better way to live. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were everyone else, all the other diverse nations. All of them had long ago, Paul said, turned away from their creator and forgotten about their God. 
What Paul explained in Romans, though, was that both Jews and Gentiles, in the end, had thrown away their relationship with God and had rebelled against him. The Gentiles had, obviously, in Paul's day, they were busy worshiping idols their own hands had made and engaging in all kinds of immoral lifestyles. But Paul insisted the Jews, too, had rejected God. They had God's word, sure. The problem was they didn't listen to it or obey it. They had fragrantly and repeatedly broken their covenant with God. And so Jew or Gentile, Paul said, it didn't matter. All had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, Paul added, in God's mercy, God's great mercy, God had reached out in love to both groups. In God's great mercy, God had sent his own son to reconcile both groups back to God and in the process back to one another, inviting both through the gospel to come and be a part of one new people that God was creating to be in relationship with himself and to be a blessing to the world. And if that's true of you, Paul says, if you're among those who has been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, then what should you do in view of God's great mercy to you? How should you respond? Well, Paul says, I'll tell you. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, for this is your true and proper worship. In other words, coming back to God, responding to God's mercy, becoming part of God's one new people means no longer putting yourself first, but instead putting God first. It means joining those who are learning to offer our lives, our very selves in worship to the God who pardoned us, who had mercy on us, who saved us. And how do we do this? In verse 2, Paul tells us, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we worship God, we put him first in response to God's mercy by together becoming a countercultural community. A community of people who live and think differently than the world around us, which we have been saved out of. We learn to, to think in new ways, God's ways, and to live in new ways. And as we do, our lives become transformed. Because that's what God's salvation is about. In the midst of a world, Paul says, where people's thoughts are darkened and their thinking is foolish, where where people worship themselves and what their hands have made and they give little thought to God, God has called us to something very different as his people. That's what God's had mercy on us for, to bring us out of a world bent on darkness and destruction so that we could be formed into a new people, God's people, to live in relationship with God. A people no longer just made up of Jews, no longer just made up of Gentiles, but an amazing combination of the two. To show the world what God can do that no one else can do. God can take irreconcilable enemies. God can take diverse people who have nothing in common, no reason to get along, and turn them into his one new family, his family. And so because we've been invited into and caught up in this grand salvation and this one new people created by God out of diverse and different peoples, we can no longer think like we used to think, Paul says. 
Well, how are we to think then? How are we to renew our minds, as Paul puts it? Well, Paul gives us two different ways, two new ways to think. First, he says we're to think grace. And second, we're to think together. If we're going to get along and work together and love one another as God's one new people, we're going to have to think grace and think together. And both of these are countercultural, especially in America. Because here, even in the church, we tend to think in terms of hard work and individual freedom rather than in terms of unearned grace and group togetherness. So first, Paul says we need to think grace. We've already seen how he begins Romans 12, verse 1 again. I urge you in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. If we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we're going to have to keep in view God's mercy. In other words, we're going to have to let God's mercy color how we see everything else. And then just to drive this point home further, Paul repeats it twice more, not using the word mercy this time, but the word grace. The two are closely related. And so in verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. And then again in verse 6, he adds, We each have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Grace given to me. Grace given to each of us. We all have to think grace, Paul says. And then Paul gives us two ways to think grace. First, in verse 3, by not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. When you think grace, you realize that, that for us whom God has saved, our value doesn't come from whether we've pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps or not. In the body of Christ, there are no self-made men or women. It's only by grace that any of us has been invited into God's family. And so American churches may need faithful givers and faithful volunteers to survive. But your and my individual value in this church can never be about what we give or how much we volunteer or, or how long we've been here. Because we don't give, we don't serve to get something for ourselves in return to get a bigger say around here or, or more pats on the back. No, we serve in view of God's mercy, in view of God's grace. We serve because we're grateful for what God has done. Man, God gave up his own life for me. The least I could do is offer him my love by, by serving his cause. And this means we can't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, Paul says. I can't think, well, I'm the pastor. You should all do what I say. And you can't think, well, I've been at this church since before you were born. <laughs> I've cleaned the church more times. <laughs> I've tithed tens of thousands of dollars over the years. <laughs> I've spent endless hours serving on committees. So I deserve more sway around here than you. You can't think that. I can't think that. Because none of us has earned our way here. <laughs> You couldn't pay enough or give enough to earn a place at the table in God's family. Only one person paid the price of admission for all of us. And that's, of course, Jesus Christ, who has freely invited all of us. We are his guests. So think grace, Paul says. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. 
And then Paul gives us a second way to think grace. And that's in terms of the gifts that, that God has given us. They're gifts. We, we didn't earn them. They don't belong to us. They may have been given to you, but they weren't given for you. Rather, verses 6 to 8, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is serving, then serve. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's showing mercy, then do it cheerfully. You might be a great Bible teacher. Or you might have an amazing eye for beauty and, and, and be a wonderful decorator. Or, or maybe you're the most friendly person in the church. Don't be proud of it. it it's a gift. God gave it to you. And God didn't give it to you so you could feel you're better than the other people here. No, God gave it to you so you could bless others. Your gifts are, are gifts of grace. So, so think grace as you use them. And that leads to the second way Paul wants us to think. Think together, he says. American Christianity says that what really matters is your personal salvation and your personal relationship with God. And yeah, there's something to that. But it's not just about what you need to help yourself and to help yourself grow. Paul says, no, that, that's not what salvation is primarily about. Don't think just American individualism. Think Christ's body. Think one people. Think together. Because salvation is about God forming a new community, a new people out of all different sorts of people, diverse people, out of people who, who were at enmity. And had no other reason to be together. God's salvation is about how God has called these people, called us together to be one. We've got to think together, Paul says. Verses 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You have a body, right? Take a minute, look at it. <laughs> you've, you've got many parts. You're, you're made up of many members. You have hands, elbows, feet, eyes, hair. It, each one is different. Each one has a, a different function. Each is unique and distinct. Yet each part is fundamentally part of a bigger whole. So it is in the body of Christ, Paul says. Churches aren't just spiritual fill-up stations that are set up so each individual Christian, each individual part of the body can plug into the one that suits them best, get what they need to, to live their individual lives. No, that way of thinking is way more American than it is Christian. According to God's word, churches are bodies put together by God with different parts, each part necessary to the larger whole. Verse 5 again. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. You're a guest. I'm a guest in God's church by grace. And so you and I are not here for ourselves. You are here. I am here for God to gratefully worship God, to put God first and God has given you gifts, not for your own benefit, but so that you can be a gift to others. 
And you do not belong to yourself. You have been bought with a price. You belong to everybody else in the body. You have been given as a gift to the other people here, and they have been given as a gift to you. Don't think about what's best for you alone. That's the American way to do it. But Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think grace. Think together. For the Roman church Paul was writing to, the the place the rubber met the road with this was how Jews and Gentiles were going to get along as one body and one people. Because Jews thought they were better than Gentiles. After all, Jews had grown up with the Bible. They they knew their scriptures inside and out. And and they kept God's commands. They they weren't worldly. They didn't eat unclean pork like the Gentiles did. They, They didn't work on the Sabbath. They didn't break the other Ten Commandments, the other commands of God. So that's what the Jews thought. Well, the Gentiles didn't appreciate this holy roller stuff. After all, they were Romans. And to the Romans, the Jews were, were foreigners, were, were immigrants, and not very sophisticated ones at that. From a Roman perspective, the Jews had, had hokey small-town ways. They were just somewhere off there on the edge of the empire with the other barbarians. We're in Rome. We're in the center. We're in the big city now. So the Gentiles thought they were better. No, Paul says, you've, you've got to think differently. Be renewed by the transforming of your mind. You've got to think together. Be ye Jew or be ye Gentile, you are all saved by the same grace. God is forming a new people now, the body of Christ made up of many diverse members to show the whole world that God can overcome the racial divide nobody else could to form one new people out of two very different peoples. Well, that was then. What might this look like in our day? Well, what about the discussion we're having right now as a church about the role of women in leadership at CBC? We had a good conversation last Sunday during Sunday school in the lounge, respectfully listening to one another's perspectives. Though I guess, I would guess that in the back of some of our brains, there were some thoughts we didn't say out loud. Maybe some were thinking, you know, the Bible's just clear. Women are not to lead. If you think they should, you you just aren't taking God's word seriously. You've just been too influenced by the culture. And others maybe were thinking, well, if you want to restrict what women can do, you're just out of touch. (laughs) You're holding on to oppressive, out-of-date perspectives, and and then you're reading your Bible inconsistently, cherry-picking the parts that still apply today and the parts which no longer do. Paul says, don't think so negatively about each other. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently. Think together. Think grace. God has graciously invited us all into his family, into the one new people he's saving for himself. He's bringing together some more traditional people, some more progressive people into one body. This is a miracle that nobody thought could happen. I mean, especially in the midst of a country bitterly divided by culture wars, right? (laughs) But we are invited to be part of this miracle for God's glory. So let's think together. 
Sure, we, we have differences and we'll continue to be different, but let's not lose sight of the bigger picture. We are one body, one people. Sure, you have an opinion, but, but don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, even those you disagree with. So here's the challenge for all of us this week. Where is there a situation this week where you can practice thinking grace and thinking together? Where is there a situation where you have an opportunity to honor someone above yourself? Maybe someone who sees things differently than you do. Why not do it? Do it in view of God's mercy. Do it because you're grateful. And you want to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the God who has saved you. For you realize that this is your true and your proper act of worship. If we can all do that, thinking grace, thinking together, we will indeed be a countercultural community in the midst of a land of rugged individualism. Living as one people, one body, despite our many differences. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Let's sing that.